you are listening to the You Are a Lawyer podcast. I am the podcast host, Kyla Denanyo, a 2015 law school graduate. This podcast was created to share the experiences and successes of law school graduates who created their own paths to career success. In episode seven, I'm speaking with a political strategist and lawyer. This guest plays technology specialist on state campaigns, congressional and Senate races. Earlier this year, this guest created Capital Strategies, This guest is also an author, releasing her book in September 2020. Based in Missouri City, Texas, today's guest is Yaladria Drummond. So Yaladria, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well. Would you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I am Yaladria. I was on the Tom Steyer presidential campaign as the deputy national training director. I trained all of the campaign staff and volunteers on how to become a good organizer, how to activate themselves in their communities, and also how to go about spreading the vision of Tom. I am currently the regional director of a political organization called Digidem, specializing in placing tech specialists on state level campaigns and some that are for congressional Senate races like that. And we are trying to basically combine tech in political spaces where they don't really know that they really need it. So basically coming up with new innovative ways to include technology. That's pretty much it. Did you enjoy being the training director for Tom Steyer's campaign? I did. I enjoyed it a lot. It was a lot of travel, like 90% travels wow. away from my family quite a bit. But I did enjoy being able to be a part of a cause and be a part of a, the solution for our country. Okay. Was that campaign what led you to working with Digidems? Yes. Once I got into the political space, I knew I wanted to continue, but I was looking for another way to kind of elevate myself into being able to impact more campaigns than just one and to impact the country in the democratic space on a broad and a wide spectrum instead of just one candidate. Okay. So how would you say managing tech support helps to promote that? In campaigns, they have what we call campaign tech. But right now, look at the times today. So we're all in what we call self-quarantine. And people aren't able to mobilize and go out and knock doors. And they're going to only do so much phone banking. So what's left? You have social media. You have digital marketing. You can do it in several different ways of actually reaching different voters or reaching people across the nation through technical ways. You can invent apps. We can tell you how to basically pull different type of lists that you would even have thought of listing and how to build databases and websites to where they can still function in a space of trying to make sure they get the vote out. But a lot of people don't have that capacity right now. And we're trying to put that in the space because what happens if this is for the rest of the year? then you're not going to be able to do the normal canvassing, the normal events that people do in uh, politics to make sure they get the word out. It's going to all become digital. And so we're into being innovative and being a progressive type of organization that is trying to invade a space where there truly is a need that people may or may not have seen at first. So I think that's where it comes into play. Yeah, I hadn't even thought that far out. I'm currently in Ohio, and we postponed our primary vote, but I hadn't thought past June and what would happen if the quarantining occurred for the rest of the year. Yeah, so a lot of people are now trying to figure out how does campaigning look without the opportunity of being able to physically mobilize yourself and get out there. So having campaign tech specialists on your campaign, it actually helps, and they can teach others how to do that. So it's not just what we call campaign digidems. You can build that and grow other people who just do regular organizing. Hmm. 
that's a great perspective. I hadn't considered it, but someone does need to stay two and three steps ahead. Uh, yeah. so that's great. Law school taught you how to research and become more of an analytical thinker. How do you apply that to what you're doing right now as the regional director of DigiDems? A lot of the people that I work with are literally technical people. They don't come from the background of having a law degree, so they don't think on that level. Well, you know, law school, we had to do a lot of researching and putting together briefs and understanding how to break down things very quickly and getting the most important facts out of it. We started putting a lot of systems in place because of the way I'm able to research and think, you know, on that level in our hiring process. They had a hiring and they figured out exactly how they thought they wanted to go about it. And they didn't really sit down and analytically think of who should be interviewing at what step. So ultimately, the people right now we're interviewing for are people that are going to be working directly under me and the other three regional directors. So we should be the last step because we have to decide if those are the people that we want to work with. Well, they didn't think about that. So they were putting the co-managers and the co-presidents of the company on the last interviews. And now we're having to backtrack to actually look at those videos of those calls to see if we even want to interact with those people. But had they have actually been thinking, analyzed the situation and really, really thought it out, it might have looked different from the beginning. So I think that they kind of hired me and brought me into the space because of my analytical thinking to be able to say, let's rationalize how we're going to even put these people out here on these campaigns. Where do they fit in? Who do they fit in with? Well, we need to research the campaigns that we have, get the information from the campaigns that want us, and figure out who's a fit based on what they've told us on these interviews. But they didn't think on that level. So I've become an asset to them because of the strengths of law school. And it's just things like that that people take for granted that actually do help you in your career choices that you have. Well, I think that's a really good point. Law school shows you how to look at things on a larger scale because you're wondering, hey, this is impacting my client right now, but is there case law that's already talked about this? So I like how you correlate it. Let me take what I learned in school and use it in my career to be like, no, you need to look at how this affects all of us. Right. Yeah, no, I love that. That makes a lot of sense. So in law school, you met your husband and you now have two children. (laughs) Do you think graduating at the age of 24 gave you a different perspective once you were a law graduate, or do you think it hindered you in any way? I don't think I appreciated law school um, at 24. I was more on the societal look of, oh my gosh, I'm 24 years old. How cool am I to have graduated law school? It was a facade for me. It was a persona that I added onto myself. I looked at it as, oh, I'm cool. I'm a lawyer at 24. And I didn't really look at the magnitude of what I really was stepping myself into. It shaped the way I looked at things first coming out. I think that people who were older than me, they really sacrificed a lot to go to law school, whereas I went straight out of undergrad. So I just came in young thinking, oh, wow, this is just the next step to do it. And I just got lucky enough to do it. But I don't really think I really sat back and thought why I was really there. Could you share some of the challenges that you experienced after law school? Oh, yeah, definitely. So, of course, there's the challenge of figuring out, do you really want to take the bar or not? Or was that really your next step? I was pushing so hard to want to pass to prove it to other people, but I didn't really take the time to look to see if that's something I even wanted for my actual career or where I even wanted to go with my career. So I was just kind of so young and just doing what was expected of me. And in my family, it was like, I'm the most educated at that point, but everybody knows the next step is take the bar, pass the bar, become an attorney. 
And so I was trying to appease that. So that was a challenge, accepting that that's not even what I really wanted for myself. Another challenge was just jobs in general. If you don't pass the bar exam and don't get that bar roll number, essentially it is a curse because a lot of jobs that you apply for, whether you want a paralegal or a legal assistant or a clerk, you can only do that for so long before they're like, okay, you're going to want to be an attorney at some point, so we're not going to hire you. And then you have the other jobs that you step into that, oh, well, you have a JD, so now you're too qualified. So I struggled with that. I instantly did get a job right out of law school after taking the bar. I worked as a paralegal for a mortgage company, but I got laid off. And once I got laid off, that was it. It was like that window period of that one year after graduating that people kind of give you to let you be a paralegal, let you be a law clerk. That ends really quickly. And then it's like you either pass the bar or you got to figure it out. I jumped from job to job and not even in spaces that I wanted to do and never could really get anything permanent because of the fact of those either you pass or you don't pass. And that was the worst thing that could have possibly happened. So it was a big hindrance. I think that was a big challenge. And lastly, the most recent challenge that I feel was a problem with it because of the fact that I couldn't hold down a stable job because of being either overqualified or underqualified, I tried to purchase a house. And my job history makes me look unstable. Whereas a person who came straight out, maybe past, had been working for a law firm, that worked out for them. So yeah, they can hop into a house. But I have all of the qualifications to get a house, but don't have the stability of job looks to even get one. So you don't realize how deep that affects you in your personal life until it actually happens. And so that was just a literal recent disappointment that I felt. And I felt like it stemmed back from the fact that I went to law school. And because I can't pass the bar like the society wants us to, that it hinders me in the long run. That was long-winded. but No, yeah. I appreciate it. I hadn't even considered that personal aspect. So, yep. yeah. So in undergrad, you majored in political science. Do you think that was your initial interest in politics? I think it was in a different space, though. I think it activated me into a little bit of activism, but not on the spectrum as wide as my brain looks now. I think it kind of just made me think, oh, I could go be a city manager or a city planner and change local things. Yeah, I can understand that. And do you think law school in any way impacted what you're doing now in politics? I do think that just even being in law school, period, was a political type of situation to me. And so I saw things maneuvered and the impact of coalitions and stuff like that, but also things that happened during the time that we were in law school. We saw a lot of things like even the ruling on Trayvon Martin happened during that time. We saw the Mike Brown incident happen. Uh, We went out and we did our peaceful protesting. And I think that ultimately the knowledge that I was gaining behind the law, you know, behind the legal system and how law worked, and then also having those things happen in real life, it really just sparked my activism to another level. And I don't think I would have known that or seen that had I not had some type of insight on what the law looks like from a perspective of a lawyer. So I think that it definitely did. You also authored a book. Through my eyes, surrendering the ties of my soul. Why was that important to you? This stemmed from when I was 11 years old all the way up until I was 29 years old, which I'm 29 now. What happened was basically I just had a time to reflect and a sit down with myself and realize what is the real issue. You know, I I just didn't really notice how much things in my past had affected me and shaped me into the person that I was. And I really didn't like who that person was. I thought it was important to make sure that I let people know it's never too late to recognize things and come to an awakening moment and grow. This was just my time to basically 
write those things down and say goodbye to the past and move forward. So did this start out as a journal that you've then transitioned into a book or did you sit down and say, I'm writing a book about what I've been through? So I thought I was going to write a book a long time ago because I was just like, somebody needs to hear this. Like somebody (laughs) has to hear my life. My life is fantastic. Somebody's got to hear it. No, no, total opposite. My life is jacked up. Somebody's got to hear it. Right. You know, (laughs) but I wasn't through it. And so no wonder I didn't do it. I'm a person who always Mm -hmm. hits my goals. And if that was something I said I really want to do, then why hadn't it been done? It's because I wasn't ready. So when I finally broke free from what I consider my soul ties, I told myself, you know what? Nothing is going to stop me this year. I turned 30 in October and nothing's going to stop me. And I'm going to write a book. So then I started writing one of the chapters. And then I was like, but I need to hold myself accountable. So I got an editor and I paid her. And I was like, if I pay, then of course I'll hold myself together. Mm -hmm. So in 84 days, I was able to complete this book. Wow. Um, shocked myself that I really write well, despite, you know, some of my legal writing classes who would say <laughs> otherwise. But, you know, I'm very, very proud of what it is. And if it can reach somebody and help somebody, then that's the main goal. I'm excited to receive it. I definitely placed my pre-order. I know. Um, looking Thank forward you, to, <laughs> Thank Of you. course. Looking forward to reading it. Were you nervous while you were putting it out there? Had you talked to your husband about it? He definitely was very integral in the whole writing of it. He actually was very helpful in like refreshing my memory about things. Okay. You know, like when I get stuck on something, I'd be like, hey, you know, because it's going to affect multiple people. It was, it's actually hard to write. It was very emotional because I had to kind of relive through a lot of that all over again. I never was nervous because I felt like if I ever had to write something that I was nervous about, then I wasn't over it. I'm past Hmm. it and I'm healed. So this is for me. And if I was worried about what other people thought, then I'd still be that same girl because I was a, that was a big part of me and that's not me. And I have to realize like when you're telling something that's your truth, that's exactly what it is. And everybody may not like it. I'm not nervous. Will it probably ruffle some feathers more than likely? I'm past it, but it's like the fact is when you sit back and say, dang, I went through that. You know, when you look about it, like, that's crazy. Like, yeah. It's incredible to look back and say, wow, I survived all of this, that it filled up a book. Yeah. I mean, I've known you for eight years now because we literally were in that first class together. We were. So, oh my gosh, from the (laughs) 21 year old that I was then to now, I can't even. Yeah. Okay. You finish your book, but it'll actually be shipped and printed in September. Yeah, September 1st is the actual release date. Those who pre-ordered will have their book either by the 1st or will be shipped out on the 1st. So. Okay. And of course, when you were in law school, we had to take legal writing. I took that course with you. Um, <laughs> we also took legal research. But writing a book of your own story was a little bit different from that. Did you take anything that you learned from legal writing as you were formatting the book or as you were writing it down? no. I say that because I feel like I was a great writer before I stepped into law school. It kind of diminished my feelings towards my writing. They made me feel like I wasn't as great, but that's because it's a whole different form of writing. I think that, let me say no and yes, because yes, being analytical, being able to expand my thoughts, being able to think like, how do I say that better? How do I present that better? So I do think that learning how to present things better, learning how to really express what you're trying to say. We did learn that in law school. And I think that it made me sometimes sit back and say like, okay, what is the core message? What am I trying to get across here? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like when you're getting yourself prepared for like even moot court or anything like that. We're like, how do I get myself to get to my my point when I'm about to do this closing or what, you know, whatever I'm going to do, like how am I going to convey this well enough to make sure it's relating back to the core and what I want people to take away from it. So that I did use, I could say I utilized that big time 
from you know what we did in legal writing yeah legal writing is its own beast it's definitely necessary but it makes you question and second guess yourself i do it now when i'm writing emails i'm like could that be more concise i'm like let it go send it they wanted perfection and it was nothing wrong with that in a sense. Yeah, and it might be a law center thing, especially because Louisiana's bar exam is all essay. There's no yeah. multiple choice. That perfection is uh, deeply ingrained. <laughs> <laughs> but you've created Capital Strategies. Can you tell me what they do in one sentence? Capital Strategies, we are a political and NGO compliance and financial services firm. Okay. And who do you work with? Anyone? Attorneys or political right, campaigns? Right now we do political campaigns and uh, nonprofits. Anybody, honestly, we do okay. nonprofits and people who are building up LLCs. Our focus is minorities in all aspects, the underserved, underdogs. That's our, our mission. Through Capital Strategies, you work with underserved communities. Why was that important to you? I saw that there was a need for it. There are so many people in the underserved communities, minorities, you know, from any range of race and like women that are wanting to start up their own nonprofits or actually run for office. And compliance is a huge part of that. And I knew that they don't get targeted. They're not the people that people seek out to do their compliance work for because it can be expensive. And I wanted to make sure that I could take away that burden from them so that they can still be in compliance with the FEC and or their local government or the IRS and still be able to focusing on their mission while not worrying about the hassle of a financial burden of something that is so important to them. Yeah. So before Capital Strategies, if I wanted to start a campaign, would I just start it and someone would call me further down the line and say, hey, you're out of compliance? There was no one that was walking you through the process as they are running the campaign like you are? You knew compliance was a big deal from the beginning. You know that you have to be in compliance because you have to meet a certain threshold. So if you are doing local government, like state level, then the compliance is a little bit different. So they may not have a threshold. You just start immediately, you know, reporting your finances. But if you are running in the federal level, once you hit a $5,000 threshold in fundraising, you have to start reporting it. Well, a lot of times some people don't ever reach that or they're the campaigns that nobody's even looking at, but there's literally maybe four or five compliance companies and they're majority white and they handle big time clients. They don't even go for local level, state level. They, you have to be um, on the federal level for them to even entertain you because they're costly. We felt like that's discouraging because when you look at it, campaign compliance is not easy. It's very, very tedious and it has so many little parts to it that could go wrong. And it's really just for their protection. And because nobody's like reaching out to them, we felt like we'll go reach out to them. So right now, like I have a client that is running for a U.S. rep here in Texas. He's a small client, finally met the threshold. He's now starting to get some buzz from big time people in the political world. But before he was just, nobody knew about him and It's about making sure that these people's voices are heard and we just take away a burden from them. Yes, we charge them money, but they shouldn't have to put being legally compliant on the back burner because they can't afford somebody to help them with it. Yeah. And like you said, they're underserved and now you are here and you're serving the communities. That's great. Okay. Do you think your career would be impacted at all if you took and passed the bar exam? couldn't hurt it, but I don't think that it adds anything. Whether I ran for office, whether I try to be somebody's campaign manager or go further into policy, I think the knowledge that I already have has put me in place to do those tasks. I just think that literally passing the bar is either it's great for somebody else's career if that's what they want to do, but if you have no intention of actually doing 
actual cases and having that type of clientele, it really doesn't serve a super impact on the space of politics because you don't need to be a licensed attorney to become a senator. So I don't see it being a big factor in the political realm. I don't think that my career could be impacted at all if I took the bar exam now either. It did take me a number of years to get over yep. that personal failure, just feeling of myself from just not passing. But absolutely, you can be out here kicking butt and it still is impactful, even though you weren't admitted to a bar association. So very true. I say that all the time. That was a big thing that I had to get over was that nobody understands that type of defeat and how it really tears you down mentally when you think you've done nothing with your life just because you didn't pass the bar. But also when you come to a place of peace that you realize that that's not something that you even need or maybe never even wanted. And the fact that people are going to still continually ask you, you need to take the bar, you need to take the bar. And they don't understand that, yes, we are lawyers, we may not be licensed attorneys, but we are entitled to feeling how we feel and empowered in that sense because we did work our butts off to get those degrees. And we have to just basically own it and understand that everybody won't understand why we're where we are and why we don't have our bar roll number and why we don't even care anymore. Yeah, it's incredible. What I used to hate was, oh, I can't believe it didn't pass, but you're so smart. That kills me. Why does it have to be one or the other? It kills me. And I'm just like, it's a test though. Like it's not set up for everybody to pass. And also Louisiana is all essay. Most of the people here in Texas who were in Texas took it four or five times before they actually passed. But I think that the law is awesome. I think that being an attorney is awesome. I just think that it's not going to be for everybody. And there's so many people doing so well without it. Like when I look at our class for those who didn't take it or those who took it and then just like ultimately didn't pass and then went a different route, I feel like they're thriving. Mm -hmm. I've talked to more people who have passed and they're not making half the money that I'm making, you know? And I think to myself, this is the first time that I've ever, ever gotten to a space where I'm actually making the kind of money I think I deserve to be making and I don't care about it. They're not making the money and they are miserable. Yeah. Miserable. (laughs) It's too mental and too exhausting for me to be shutting down my life for four to five months only to wait another three months to know that you're going to tell me no. No, I'll take the never take it again for 10,000. That's not happening. You put off so many things for this test. It is, no, I don't want to get married. I'm going to take the bar again. No, I don't Mm -hmm. want to have a kid. I'm going to take the bar again. I feel like now that I was like, screw it. Let me do the stuff I want to do. I probably would pass as a joke or better yet, I wouldn't because now they're postponing all the exams because of Corona. Exactly. It's like how they say you do all this practicing until you get to the big show. And it almost diminishes the fact that we went through three years worth of law school, that we actually obtained a doctorate degree that means something. And that basically makes it sound like that didn't even matter because you can't pass this one portion. How many people can't even get into law school? That's what I And that's why this is here. Because we need to celebrate the fact that we got in, got out. And no matter what you're doing now, you have studied the law. You are a lawyer. Right. Like you said, we do have to celebrate the fact that we've done a lot. And I had to realize like it wasn't until I got into politics and people are really appreciated. Like people are amazed with the fact that I have a law degree and all this kind of stuff. And it's an asset to them because they feel like, oh, wow, like that's an accomplishment for somebody to have done that. Not that I didn't pass the bar. Nobody cares about that. 
Like they ultimately feel like that doesn't matter. People had to teach me how to appreciate me and what I accomplished Same. because I didn't know because I felt so shamed that I couldn't pass the test. I was like, well, dang it, like I'm nothing. And they're like, are you kidding me? Like, do you understand how hard that is? Like, do you not look at yourself like that? Like the way that they saw me, I didn't see. But so hearing you say how it, it you know, had you defeated and down, it does help. And it makes sense that I'm not alone because you really do feel alone in those moments. And it's this platform what you're doing right here is awesome for those who did take it or didn't take it but to be able to have that voice and to know that we aren't alone in this and that we are lawyers and we can accept that this is great thank you so much i appreciate it you no, sound so mature you. and happy i'm so excited <laughs> yeah this is a different me now huh y'all know what i used to be like oh Lord. well five years ago was a long time for all of us so. it was growth is a real thing girl <laughs> it is a real thing oh yes, well thank definitely. you so much you have a good day you too Thank you for listening to You Are a Lawyer. Subscribe to the show wherever you find your favorite podcast, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. New episodes are released every other Thursday. Leave a comment on our Instagram or Twitter pages. You can find those details in the show description. Feel free to contact me at Kyla at youarealawyer.com. Have a great day.